days, it seems like for every one intercompany transaction, there are a thousand documents that have to justify it. Wait, make that 1,001. Last December 2019 marked the deadline for EU countries to officially adopt into regulation the sixth version of the EU Council Directive on Administrative Cooperation, affectionately known as DOC6. The directive goes full throttle starting on July 1st, 2020, at the latest. Poland, for example, is already off to the races, but hold on, we're already getting ahead of ourselves. Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast, and have we got an episode for you. Today, we're discussing Doc6 and its many implications for multinational companies with a few friends of ours in the EU. Cross-Border Solutions expert on transfer pricing in Poland, Milena Kanuska-Srodeka, has dialed in and Cross-Border Solutions tax and transfer pricing lawyer Hosker Hugenberg is standing by in the Netherlands. Welcome, Milena and Hosker. This is a Fiona Show debut for both of them, but with so much going on in the EU, it's safe to say it won't be their last. Mimi Song, Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist, is also in the House, and she'll be joining the conversation on Doc 6. If you're not familiar with Doc 6, and we don't mean to alarm you, but then uh, uh-oh, it's one of the latest compliance burdens from the EU Council. And by compliance burden, we mean a microscopic close-up of your cross-border transactions with intermediaries. But there we go, getting ahead of ourselves again. We'll explain all that in a minute. First, a few reminders. You can earn CPE credits for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're burying two CPE code words in this episode. Email both words to all one word, the Fiona show at xbs.ai, and we'll reply with your CPE certificate. How easy is that? Now, before we dive in, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. In Belgium, the crackdown on base erosion and profit shifting is kicking into high gear. On February 25th, the Belgian Tax Administration published a circular letter, that's number 2020C35 for those of you who want to be picky about it, which confirms the tax authority's commitment to the 2017 OECD transfer pricing guidelines. The circular builds on two earlier drafts and clears up confusion about how the BTA feels about things like the arm's length principle. They love it and they want it proven in real-time reality. The circular also offers guidance on how to treat intangibles, mostly like the OECD suggests, but the BTA plans to scrutinize DEMPE frameworks. Consider yourself warned. It also gives a nice shout out for using the cup and profit split methods on transactions involving intangibles. Hint, hint. Speaking of methodology, the BTA is a big fan of the cup method and not so high on transactional methods. But yes, it will accept any proper method. And here's a time saver. You don't have to just justify why you didn't choose other methods. You'll also find the BTA's position on permanent establishments, financial transactions, and business restructurings. Most guidelines go into effect on intercompany transactions that took place on or after January 1st, 2018. Others for those on or after January 1st, 2020. Either way, it's easy to see that when it comes to transfer pricing, the Belgian tax authorities aren't messing around. Yes, we admit Turkey is late to the party, but the country has finally instituted documentation requirements, as in the BEPS Action 13 kind. And we can't emphasize this point enough. Finally, a presidential decree released on February 24th, number 2151, mandates CBC and master file requirements starting with the 2019 tax period. Who's on the hook? Multinational companies with net sales and assets greater than 500 million Turkish lira. That's roughly 74 million euros. Yes, the Turkish 
tax authorities will be expecting your master files. Prepare the first batch by the end of 2020 and turn them in upon request. As for local files, they're sure to remind you of Turkey's previous transfer pricing report, and for good reason, they're basically the same. For multinational groups that are really doing well, i.e. you have a consolidated revenue of 750 million euros or more, you'll need to submit a country-by-country report, or at the very least, submit a notification that reveals which entity will be reporting. The first report is due by December 31st, 2020, and the first notification by August 2020. Aside from the documentation requirements, the decree added a few amendments to existing transfer pricing rules, the elimination of transfer pricing methodology hierarchy, and relaxed penalties when proper documentation is in place. Take the hint already. If Turkey just added a lot to your plate, uh, sorry, but um, maybe there's this transfer pricing software that can take care of it all for you. I don't know. Catch my drift. The reign of the arm's length principle may be over, and who's to blame? The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. That's at least how Michael Keane, the deputy director of the IMF's Fiscal Affairs Department seems to see it. During a February 28th keynote speech at the annual International Fiscal Association U.S. branch meeting in Boston, Keene noted some chips in transfer pricing's principal foundation. He mentioned that over the years, experts have talked about modest changes to international tax, but in more recent years, there's been, to paraphrase him, quote, an avalanche of new ideas and proposals in the TCJA has been a part of that. Years ago, dissing the arm's length principle was considered sacrilegious, yet now you can't help but question its future. Keen observed keenly, I'm sorry, I had to, that the U.S.'s global intangible low-taxed income rules and the OECD's Pillar 1 proposal both reallocate profits in a way that renders the arm's length principle useless, and the TCJA may have helped pave the way to the OECD's unified approach. I mean, it certainly didn't stand in the way. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. I want to thank everyone for joining us, and let's learn a little bit about you both before we get started. So let's start with Malena. How did you get into transfer pricing? Oh, it was very straightforward. I would say it was a result of the study path uh, I chose, uh, namely I studied finance and banking only because there I could focus on tax strategies, and I knew that I want to be a tax advisor. Then I started my career with Big Four Company, where I was in finance and banking group. So as an economist surrounded by lawyers uh, who in many cases from my experience are scared of numbers, I became a candidate to deal with transfer pricing within the team. And uh, now after 17 years from that starting point, I'm here for my transfer pricing experience. And how about you, Oscar? 
Well, actually, I am one of these lawyers. Uh, <laughs> as Milena mentioned, I mean, I, I did go. I know. I did go to law school uh, in the Netherlands, and the Netherlands is one of the few countries where, uh, when you go to law school, you can actually take a degree in tax law, which is what I did. So I then started, you know, my career in in one of the international tax departments of uh, one of the big four at the time, Coopers and Librand. Obviously, at the time, I think it was even the big six. But anyway, so, you know, did international tax for many years. And then gradually, you know, transfer pricing came part of that, which is not very uncommon, I would say. And, you know, also not being afraid of, of numbers. And when I then made a move to an in-house tax role uh, in 2005 at Accenture, you know, I started to focus uh, more and more on transfer pricing, and that ultimately led to that I became uh, the head of transfer pricing and tax controversy at the uh, you know, within the Accenture uh, tax team. So that's you know when I started dedicating my time almost completely on transfer pricing. So and that's you know been for the last ten years. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a long journey, but an interesting one. Let's start with Molina again. What mistakes do you see multinational companies making again and again? From my experience, I can very often see that the multinationals do not communicate with each other. And that leads to many discrepancies and inconsistency even the documentation that they produce without cooperation. Another issue, which is very often, is that risky assumption that you, that companies make that if I wasn't subject to audit in the previous years, I wouldn't be audited in the now or in the next years. And such assumptions in the after BEPS environment is very risky. And how about you, Hasker? Well, you know, what I see, which is, uh, you know, very relevant these days is that, you know, companies apply transfer pricing that is not following the, the economic or commercial reality within a company and that no longer you know, is sustainable. So you need to have your transfer pricing policy being set up on the basis of how the business is run and on commercial rationale and reality. And I still see a lot of multinationals believe that as long as you have a good paper trail, then, you know, it's going to be all right, which, you know, a lot of tax authorities no longer find acceptable. That's interesting because, I mean, we talk to clients all the time and that's just something that we hear over and over and over again, uh, you know, just in day in and day out. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's not that paperwork isn't important. I mean, because one of the other things is that what I also see quite a bit is that still there are, especially those companies that have grown very fast in a short period of time, that they have not paid much attention on creating uh, appropriate intercompany agreements. So because the, you know, the legal basis in which you set out what the companies, uh, how they interact with each other, you know, is very important. And a lot of tax authorities, well, besides asking for the transfer pricing documentation when they do a review, will also immediately ask for the intercompany agreements. And if you can't produce them, if you don't have them, then, you know, a lot of authorities, you know, often simply deny you the tax deduction because they say there is no legal basis for this deduction. So, 
you know, intercompany agreements are important as well. And I do see quite a bit that that's still, you know, not getting the attention that it uh, deserves. Hasker, staying with you, uh, what difference in how companies view tax do you see between, say, the EU and the United States? I believe, especially here in Europe, there has been over, you know, the last five to eight years, a, a very strong focus on that multinational corporations should pay their fair share of tax in each country in which they operate or in each country in which they generate revenue. And that, you know, with, and that's also the topic of today, you know, on transparency, on providing transfer pricing documentation, that's being considered very important in, in Europe. You know, in the US, I always believe that's, that's slightly different. And that probably also has to do with the, well, the US tax system. But this whole, you know, fair share in paying taxes, I think, is a, very much a agenda here in the EU. How would you characterize those differences in your view? From from perspective on my experience, and I would say many reactions of the U.S. parties when I ask them for sure in Malena station uh, and to, to check if the procedures are met, um, then I would use uh, my fa one of my favorite movies, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There were Vogans, one of the races in the galaxy who lived for procedures, and they used procedures. And I think that U.S. parties of the transaction may consider European uh, as vulgans because uh, we need procedures, we need the documentation in place. Let's start with the obvious. Fiona, what is DOC6? DOC6 is the sixth version of the EU Directive on Administrative Cooperation. This new reporting requirement is intended to help identify and close tax loopholes in the EU. It applies to cross-border tax arrangements, which meet one of five specific hallmarks and involve at least one EU country. Hasker in Milena, can you tell us a little bit more detail on that? Let's start with Milena. So, uh, we should start that um, DAC 6 has been in force since June uh, 2018, and it aims at transparency and fairness in taxation. It applies to cross-border tax arrangements, uh, which meet one or more specific characteristics called hallmarks, uh, and in certain instances where the main or expected benefit of the arrangement is in tax advantage. However, in some countries there are some exceptions. Um, for example, in Poland, um, you have to use uh, this uh, reporting obligation also with respect to domestic transactions. Um, then, uh, as regards uh, the obliged parties, the, uh, it concerns more than one EU country or an EU country and non-EU country. So it's not only internal European transactions in place. And failure to comply with these reporting obligations could mean significant sanctions under local law in the EU. And just to mention, in Poland, um, we have the highest amounts of penalties for non-compliance. It is about 5 million euro for non-compliance in Poland. It's one of the highest penalties in the European Union. And what's important, DAC 6 comes from BEPS action. So it's a very focused tax erosion basis. Well, you know, it's, it's probably also just relevant to understand that 
you know the information that is that has to be disclosed is is not only available to let's say the european country in which taxpayer that is party to the transaction is resident actually you know all eu countries have access to the information that's being disclosed so you know that's that's relevant point on the you know information being shared among countries and sorry husker uh, i i just want to ask is that automatic? Do they share that with all 20 EU countries? I'm not 100% clear how, how it works. I mean, it's, it's available, whether that means that it's getting, you know, shared automatically so that it gets in, in let's say, the inbox of all the countries. That's what I don't know exactly. But certainly all countries that want to go into that and see the information, even if it is not even concerning their own country, they can do so and they have access to it. DAC 6 covers generally corporate tax, uh, individual tax and inheritance tax. However, in Poland, uh, it covers also VAT on domestic transactions, withholding tax, transfer tax and local taxes like real estate tax. Because uh, in Poland, we have uh, the scope is much uh, bigger than in DAC6. Right, right. And in light of the fact that BEPS Action 13 has its own reporting requirements, uh, can you guys just explain a little bit about the differences between DOC6 and BEPS Action 13? Well, maybe I can have a, have a first go at that. I mean, Action Plan 13, you know, is which talks about and provides rules on transfer pricing um, documentation, so the so-called local file master file, so whereby you know, companies have to disclose or have to prepare on an annual basis documentation that shows that their transfer pricing arrangements uh, are compliant with the local rules of uh, that particular country. And also uh, Action Plan 13 also has the information on the master file that multinationals, if they meet the threshold, have to uh, prepare. And it has the rules on the country-by-country reporting. I mean, that's predominantly, I mean, obviously country-by-country reporting is about all taxes, but the local file, master file, is, is really about transfer pricing. Whereas in this case, you know, with uh, Action Plan 12, the DAC 6, actually talks, you know, as, as Milena said, you know, it's, it's corporate taxes, individual tax, inheritance tax in Poland, even VAT. So it's much broader. And also, you know, it, it uh, provides an obligation also for intermediaries, uh, which we will talk about in a bit, uh, I guess, which, you know, makes it um, a lot more detailed. It's, it's uh, um, relevant to a lot more parties, so not only to taxpayers, but also to intermediaries that need to disclose the information. It's a, so it, it concerns a lot more taxes, types of taxes. Uh, it concerns a lot more parties to the transaction, so not only taxpayers, but also the intermediaries. Um, and, and also, you know, these hallmarks where the types of transactions, you know, are a lot more detailed and broad. Uh, than uh, on Action Plan 13, which 
asset predominantly is on transfer pricing documentation and country by country reporting. Right, right. So I just want to clarify there for transfer pricing purposes. Obviously, BEPS Action 13 talks about the three-tier reporting, the local file master file, the country by country reports that you mentioned here. Uh, I know one hallmark is dedicated to transfer pricing. So what this actually means, though, is we're not just talking about intercompany relationships, right? We're, we're talking about a company and an intermediary, different kind of reporting. It is still about tax arrangements between, you know, two companies or two individuals or an individual and a company. Um, but it, it, it is not necessarily limited or it is not limited to transfer pricing. So it might also have to do with you know, uh, taking uh, advantage of certain loopholes in tax rules in one country compared to the other or, or specific, you know, avoidance schemes. And, and there is only one of these hallmarks that is specifically, as you mentioned, that specifically deals with transfer pricing. In which case, uh, I, I think one of the more interesting features of DAX 6 is the reliance on these uh, EU intermediaries. But first, probably best to define them. What qualifies as an EU intermediary? Melina, if you want to take this one. Yes, of course. So the official definition of the EU intermediary is any person that either designs, markets, organizes, or makes available for implementation or manages the implementation of a reportable cross-border arrangement. Or a person who knows that they have undertaken to provide directly or indirectly aid, assistance or any advice with respect to the this designing, marketing, organizing uh, or making available for implementation or managing the implementation of service provider. So the definition may be a little bit uh, difficult to understand. However, there are some examples uh, who is uh, understood as an EU intermediary um, that are, for example, financial advisors, assets managers, uh, lawyers and tax advisors like me, uh, trust companies, corporate service providers, any tax residents in the EU member state. So the definition is quite uh, open and includes a lot of uh, people who may be obliged to reporting. And important as an example, this not good for tax advisors. And recently, tax advisors make some efforts because it is against the Polish law for tax advisors. Because we have to protect our clients for revealing such information. That's why we we made some steps against this. No, just to add, which is you know interesting and which is you know, I think very important to note is that on a given transaction or an arrangement that falls within the scope of DAC, the DAC 6, there might be more than one intermediary involved. You know, you might, I don't know, there is some sort of a scheme being set up as part of an M&A transaction. So there might be uh, uh, um, lawyers involved, tax advisors involved, um, accountants, you know, auditors might are involved, bankers involved. So on the same arrangement? On that same particular transaction where a certain taxpayer, there might be more than one uh, intermediary involved. I would even say that in, in the majority of transactions or arrangements that fall within scope, it is likely that there will be more than one intermediary involved. 
So in that situation, Hoscar, I just want to clarify then, would each intermediary have to file reports on their own? Well, I mean, I believe, I mean, every intermediary has a obligation to report those transactions in which it, you know, has provided its, its services or has been involved. So in that respect, the answer is yes. You, you, you cannot rely on hoping that one of the other intermediaries is or the taxpayer is providing the information. You have an, you know, an independent standalone obligation under DAC 6. So then each intermediary reporting plus the company has to have to reference uh, this arrangement as well and their corporate income tax statement. So you really have to make sure everyone's on the same page. Everyone's telling the same story. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's one of the crucial things here is which is also one of, obviously one of, the, one of the magic words within transfer pricing documentation, consistency. You know, you need to be consistent in you know, the information that is disclosed so that, you know, you cannot be accused of, of providing either misleading information or inaccurate or not 100% uh, accurate information. So I think that that's a, a big task on, on companies to ensure that they liaise with their advisors and any that, that can be viewed as uh, an intermediary involved in these transactions. So first they need to identify obviously what the transactions are that fall within scope and then also you know look at okay who were all involved to make sure that you know it is consistent what is disclosed. Yes because in Poland uh, as we already have this uh, rule in force since uh, 1st January 2019 uh, then we had to file the information to the tax authorities and the rule is structured this way that you have to check if the other party that is obliged to report uh, has done it already or not. And if not, then you, you have to do it. So that, that's the way it's organized here. However, there are many discrepancies, but I will tell about this uh, a little bit later. And let's just ask Fiona quickly. Fiona, who has the primary obligation to report under Doc 6, the taxpayer or the intermediary? The intermediary has the primary obligation to report, but taxpayers have to make sure that what is disclosed to tax authorities under Doc 6 is consistent with all of their other documents and filings like country-by-country country reporting. Who is a relevant EU taxpayer? Well, you know, really basically it's, it's any tax resident in, in an EU member state. So, you know, it's not only companies. I mean, individuals, obviously, when they are resident in the EU, so it might someone that, you know, is a, a citizen of another non-EU country, but, but who is resident for tax purposes in an EU country, that obviously is an EU taxpayer. And for companies, you know, pretty much the same applies, even if a company has been incorporated under the laws of a non-EU country, but actually is for, for tax purposes resident in an EU country on the basis of the, the tax laws of that particular EU country, then already, you know, it is a, a relevant EU taxpayer. And, and the same goes for, you know, PEs, so permanent establishments of companies in the EU state. So any company that has a, a non-EU company that has a permanent establishment in the EU. And then it goes about, you know, you need to be able to, you know, you need to receive income or generate profits in any 
in an EU member state, you know, you need to carry on activity in an EU member state. And with the exception, um, potentially of what Milena told about Poland, that also is covering transactions within Poland. But typically, it applies to any cross-border transaction that involves at least one EU member state. In which case, uh, which cross-border arrangements are reportable and what happens when you report on those arrangements? Let's start with Milena. So the arrangements are reportable if they fall within one of the five hallmarks categories. But it's an uh, issue that we, I think, discuss a little bit later. Uh, but the cons- as regards the consequences of reporting, Remember that there is an automatic exchange of uh, information between the EU member states, uh, tax authorities and others. And sharing uh, of info uh, doesn't appear to be limited to those tax authorities who are directly interested in the cross-border arrangements because uh, member states also share info with tax authorities in third countries with whom they have information sharing agreements. So, so sorry to interrupt. I, I, I just want to ask, um, would the tax authorities in those countries be for countries outside of the EU? Yes, of course. If, if, uh, if there are tax treaties, there is chapter on uh, sharing information, then yes then they can use this also. And that's why it's very important, uh, as Haskell previously mentioned, it's very important that uh, we make sure that the information we present in our reporting is consistent uh, with another information that we share on the same transaction, for example, in CBCR reports. So we have to make sure that we are in control of all the information that is provided to the tax authorities. But because if we don't do that, then we can get trapped if you share inconsistency. Now, do you think it's fair to say that if you were flagged for incompliance with Tax 6, that would be a red flag for tax authorities to start looking into other cross-border arrangements that maybe simply that maybe didn't apply to the six? Yes, tax authorities uh, generally are looking for income. So if they see a transaction reported in a very high probability that they will check the transaction, then they can look at the other transactions. And they like very much cross-border transactions because there is not only checking on prices if they are at arm's length, but also to check if withholding tax has been set properly. So there's uh, many aspects to be checked as regard cross-border transactions. Yeah, I, did, I just want to add is that, that, you know, we also have to remember is that tax authorities as well are making use of modern technologies more and more. So if in their systems a company comes up that is being viewed by the system as, as non-compliant with this particular rule on the DAC 6, then it certainly will, you know, raise a red flag with the tax authority that has a risk of that they either open an audit, focus a lot more on specific transactions, or even start looking at other transactions as well, as they because yeah, I mean, as they view that taxpayer as, hey, it's non-compliant with with this uh, with this particular rule on transparency. So that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do believe that there is that risk certainly exists. Note to multinational companies everywhere. If you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. 
you can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-Border Solutions AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. And Hosker, let's start with you on this one. When do reporting requirements take effect? The rules become fully applicable as from July 1, 2020. And that means that the intermediaries and taxpayers are then required to file information with their national tax authority within 30 days of the arrangement, either being ready to be implemented or that the decision is made uh, to implement, and there are specific rules on what uh, triggers that uh, to become applicable that day. But it's it's very important to note that it, it does not only cover transactions that, let's say, start as of July 1, 2020. There is a transition period because the directive was more or less approved uh, already in uh, June 2018. In the first month, so in the month of August, intermediaries and taxpayers do already have an obligation to disclose arrangements that have taken place during that period. So the period June, I think it's June 25, 2018 up to uh, July 2020. So, you know, companies already should now be already in process of determining which transactions, which arrangements fall in the scope and prepare together with their intermediaries for that filing in the month of July and August. So that's, that's you know, companies can't wait until, you know, July 1, 2020. There is work to be done already right now. Okay, so we talked a little bit about how this affects MNEs in the sense that they have to make sure all of their own information is consistent and they have to make sure they're reporting the rate arrangements. Who gets penalized for noncompliance with Doc 6? Is it the company or the intermediary or is it both? There would be both. So everyone who's not compliant and is obliged to fulfill the requirements uh, to report uh, would be subject to penalty if he he's not compliant. DAC 6 is a whole other level of scrutiny. What exactly has to be reported? Well, you know, it's important to know that, that first of all, there is identification of, you know, the intermediaries and relevant taxpayers, you know, identification of EU member states, uh, identification of any other person in an EU member state uh, to be effective, you know, details of relevant hallmarks, uh, you know, uh, the summary 
of uh, the in-scope cross-border reportable arrangements, you know, the national rules, provisions based on these arrangements, the you know, date of first step of implementation, what are the values, that all, you know, needs to be considered for the reporting. And then, I mean, as mentioned before, the first step uh, of which is implemented must be reported by uh, the end of August 2020. And that's, you know, this catch-up on transactions took place or the fall within scope as from June 2018 up till uh, July 1, 2020. And I mean, as we discussed already previously, you know, DAC 6 is, is far more specific and detailed than BAPS Action Plan 13. You know, it's not only country by country reporting on taxes and, you know, transfer pricing uh, documentation uh, rules. It's uh, a lot more broader in scope, requires a lot more detailed uh, analysis. And, you know, it's not only about taxpayers, but also intermediaries that fall within scope of this uh, directive. You know, the DAC 6 report, um, you know, also need to present even, you know, at the individual level, you know, the names of the people involved. You know, there are certain implementation regulations that provide that, you know, a single reference number should be featured on, on all exchanges of the same arrangement you know, to ensure the mandatory automatic exchange of information uh, takes place and that it is effective so that, you know, the reference numbers may have to be featured on income and corporate tax returns so that, you know, the transactions can be linked within the system mm-hmm. um, so that it is yeah. easy. I mean, it, it's all done for easy recognition by tax authorities so that they can easily track not only the arrangements but also the taxpayers and also the intermediaries. Right, and, and that would be an easy way to spot inconsistencies as well. It allows tax authorities to, to link the transactions with the taxpayers and the intermediaries. It's to you know, disclose to the relevant tax authorities uh, that the reportable um, cross-border arrangements uh, have already been reported. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of links that, that will be included there. Melina, tell us about these hallmarks. Yes, so hallmarks uh, are characteristics which, uh, if are present in a cross-border transaction, then will be required to be reported to the tax authorities. And uh, very often they revolve around a tax advantage in in a specific transaction, however, not always. Um, And some hallmarks have to pass a benefits uh, test. So when a tax advantage is found to to be the main benefit or one of the main benefits of a particular transaction, then such arrangement must be reported under DAX 6. And there are five key categories of hallmarks. They are structured with letters A to E. Let's focus on category E, which is about transfer pricing. What does this hallmark include? And let's start with Oscar. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at, at category E uh, in these hallmarks, uh, you know, that includes uh, transfer pricing and these uh, include use of unilateral safe harbors, transfer of hard-to-value intangible assets, you know, when, when no reliable comparables exist and the projection of future cash flows, you know, or income are highly uncertain. So, you know, it, 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 it is all about that authorities want to get, you know, insight in those transactions where, you know, companies are trying to, in this case, use transfer pricing rules to achieve a tax benefit. 
you know, whether it's by the use of unilateral safe harbor rules, you know, with the transfer of uh, hard-to-value intangibles, or, you know, the same with, if you look at cross-border transfer of functions, risks, assets that are causing a more than 50% decrease in earnings in that particular country before interest uh, and tax during, you know, the next three years. So that, you know, it's being viewed as a transaction that, you know, has a, a significant impact on the, the taxable income of that taxpayer in that particular country. And Oscar, that's even if the transfer pricing documentation shows that the arm's length principle is being maintained, those can still be vulnerable to Doc 6. Yeah, I mean, at, at least for reporting purposes. So the argument that my, the argument my transaction meets the arm's length criteria does not release you yeah, that, that sounds like a big change for six. transfer pricing. Is is that fair to say? Well, I mean, the DEC 6 is, is about disclosing information and transparency, you know, and, and the arm's length principle is about, you know, the, 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 uh, the prices being applied between companies are, you know, meeting that, that arm's length principle and therefore acceptable uh, in, in, in the countries involved. So it's, it's slightly different in, in what it is trying to achieve, uh, you know, under okay. DEXIP, I mean, that's a disclosure rule. Uh, I mean, uh, the transfer pricing guidelines as set out by the OECD and adopted in many countries in local regulations is about ensuring that companies apply the right price, but the one does not exclude the other. Okay. So just to clarify there, do all EU countries have the same DAC 6 regulations? Oh no, it would be much easier if they do, but DAC 6 is implemented under each uh, individual country's laws. So countries can set their own rules, deadlines and definitions. And many countries have different uh, definitions of main benefits tests, uh, legal professional privilege, exemptions uh, and penalties. And uh, we, we should remember that uh, DAC 6 is supposed to go into effect on July 1st, 2020, going back to the documentation from June 2018. However, uh, in Poland, it's in effect uh, already since uh, 1st uh, January 2019. In which EU countries have adopted DAC 6? We'll go with Hasker. Well, I mean, it, there was an obligation under the directive uh, that uh, all EU countries had to uh, adopt uh, the rules uh, per the end of December 2019. Most, but not all, have moved forward with that adoption. Um, you know, it's... Uh, um, and some countries, uh, you know, are still in that process. You know, as, uh, as Milena mentioned... Uh, some countries, or one country in particular, Poland, already uh, uh, is ahead of the pack and uh, already adopted. Milena, some countries vary in their DAC 6 regulations from the mandatory disclosure requirements. Poland is perhaps the most extreme. What's happening there? Oh, it's happening a lot here. First, Poland has broadened the scope uh, of what has to be reported, added more hallmarks, and uh, as you know, the start date uh, was much earlier than required by the directive. And uh, the Polish uh, legislation, the, the scope is much wider, as I mentioned, and it includes extended definition of reportable tax arrangements um, 
because it uh, compromised not only cross-border, but also domestic tax arrangements. Uh, the definition of covered taxes is also wider because it uh, includes uh, VAT uh, and uh, other taxes, uh, as I mentioned uh, before. Then, uh, as I mentioned also, the number of hallmarks is much uh, bigger here as opposed to those from uh, DAC 6 and they indicate potential risk of tax avoidance. Uh, and only 11 of them require existence or suspicion of tax benefit. The remaining ones require reporting in any case. And what's not good for Poland, that Polish regulations are not uh, clear in many aspects. So we have some explanations issued by the Polish Ministry of Finance However, there are still many uh, questions open. The first reporting in this year, the, the forms uh, require activity also of all members of the board. Uh, you cannot use proxy to file the report to the tax authorities. Um, the tool to report the schemes uh, causes many troubles. It's very time consuming as regards the information you have to fill in. What's more, we have uh, new regulations that are under legislative pr procedure right now, and they are expected to come into force uh, as of uh, 1st April this year. What's uh, interesting, most probably the Polish parties who are obliged to report, they will be obliged to re-report once again the schemes that they have already reported. So it happens a lot here. Okay, so six reports that have already been reported are going to need to be reported again. Yes, uh, because we have some some issues with this um, open gate that you have to file the report to the tax authorities. So um, uh, some numbers uh, that we got for a given uh, report uh, will be um, now you will need to have a new number. Huh, I see. We were the first state that uh, applied uh, this uh, directive and we are learning uh, still how to deal with that. And uh, as I mentioned, um, the, uh, since uh, tax advisors are also obliged to report, um, it's very difficult because um, tax advisor in Poland is a profession of uh, public trust uh, and uh, we have um, we have to um, uh, protect uh, the, the, the information that we have from our clients uh, there are also information that uh, there will be a claim to the constitutional court in this respect so the tax authorities should be excluded from this reporting obligation in Poland in Hosker what about the Netherlands how has it adopted DAC 6 the Dutch Parliament uh, adopted the bill in December 2019 just before the, the Christmas break on the 17th so just in time right up against the deadline. The uh, adopted bill stays very close to the rules uh, and the mandatory disclosure uh, requirements set out in the directive. Very typical for the Netherlands. It uh, you know, typically uh, adopts uh, EU rules and it made a few clarifications about intermediaries, you know, who qualifies in certain circumstances and some clarifications on the benefit test, you know, about safe harbors. But other than that, uh, you know, it's pretty much uh, in line 
with the actual uh, underlying EU directive. So, Melina, how does a multinational company prepare for Doc Six? So they they should apply structured approach to make sure that any disclosures required under Doc Six are identified and reported. And details depend on how it's implemented under each country's law. So you should be always aware of local regulations. And they should also understand directive and implement implications, like broader scope than previous directives and covers a larger spectrum of tax arrangements. And they should understand which arrangements do and which don't fall under requirements because it's uh, sometimes it happens uh, like in Poland that too many information is reported. Uh, it's not required to report some information or some transactions, but they are. And as regards the, the documentation, we should make sure that it's uh, solid from the transition period, which starts June 2018. And for multinational companies, what are some of the challenges that come with DAX 6? And we'll start with Oscar. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, it is a challenge, you know, I mean, especially on what are the data that you need to collect, where are the data? I mean, um, many companies are, are not 100%, you know, centralized in the way they're structured. So you need to really think about where within the company and in, in which you know organizations within the company um, exist data that that needs to be collected um, you know what what tools and or technology is available or can you use as a, as a company as a multinational company to start you know collecting data that is relevant and that needs to be analyzed um, you know you need to look at, at, at the guidelines versus local implementation um, for each of those those countries, uh, you know, again, you know, it, it, as we discussed before, uh, I think one of the important things here is, you know, companies need to really apply a very structured and coordinated approach. Communicate, you know, as Milena said earlier in the discussion about this topic, and and you know, act very organized in order to ensure that you capture all the relevant information within your company that needs to be analyzed and reviewed on uh, whether it falls under DAC 6. Okay, so just to clarify here, I know the Netherlands and Poland have adopted very different regulations for DAC 6. The Netherlands stuck closely to the mandatory disclosure rules and Poland kind of brought in what they wanted reported. So if I'm a multinational company reporting for DAC 6, and I have business, I'm reporting a transaction between Poland and the Netherlands, I'm going to report very different information to Poland than I am to the Netherlands. Though those reports will have the same reference number because they're on the same transaction. Do I have that right? Is that correct? I mean, it's correct. And that's, that means that that comes back again to that other, you know, to the magic word consistency. You know, even if... Um, well, like it is also with transprice and documentation rules that uh, have been adopted by many countries. Although there, a lot of them are based on the same format. In that case, you know, Action Plan 13, local file, master file. In this case, it's the DAC 6 directive. The actual local rules might be different, you know, from country to country. So you need to ensure that you uh, provide consistent information. 
to uh, the various uh, tax authorities. And what are some strategies that MEs can implement to be in compliance with DAC 6? And let's start with Milena. So first, they should identify uh, the arrangements that should be reported under DAC 6. Then uh, sh they, they may use some existing or new unique uh, IDs to build potential inventory of such arrangements. Then they, they can uh, leverage centralized or decentralized uh, ERP systems and identify specific regulations in the country that uh, they are dealing with. So it's always good to know uh, what is required in a given country, just as we underline uh, during our discussion that we make sure that we have consistent information. And to, uh, then we can have some data strategies that include uh, gap analysis, documentation, procedures and controls, and to-do list. Uh, and for example, in Poland, some entities, some parties of the transaction are obliged to have internal procedure on DAC6. So it's something extra that is required in Poland. As regards Hallmark and ME management strategies, there, of course, we have training, uh, proper communication, and that's why we have to reevaluate and change, in some cases, management roles and responsibilities, like in Poland, uh, the file has to be presented by the whole board uh, members. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of at least that part of the discussion. Well, that was a great discussion, if not a little depressing. We feel your pain, multinationals. But let's change course here and move on to something a little less daunting. What we want to know, we're putting a transfer pricing expert in the hot seat. Uh, Hosker, Milena, Milena, or Hosker. Let's do Hosker today uh, for a round of five rapid-fire questions. Are you ready, Hosker? Absolutely. Ready when you are. Excellent. And here we go. What is your biggest everyday challenge? Okay, I'm going to answer this one, you know, just from day-to-day -day life. Just the biggest challenge is get my two sons ready for school every morning. It's a constant struggle every day. <laughs> that is where the battle of the day is, is lost or won. <laughs> Fill in the blank. If I weren't a transfer pricing rock star, I'd be a... Rock star. <laughs> Just a regular old rock star. Uh, how do you yeah, handle? Probably playing guitar. <laughs> probably playing guitar. Yeah. Any specific yeah. kind of yeah. band? Any any specific genre? Um, 
well, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a renaissance person in that respect, but I do like yeah. my, my portion of rock music. So, I don't know, Good. something more complicated like Tool? Very cool. Yeah, You'd be like a prog it. rocker. Okay, I like it. Yeah, absolutely. How, is, is prog rock how you handle your hit the fan moments? <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, my... <laughs> My philosophy to that is, you know, when it does happen, you know, try and go to the gym as soon as possible and sweat it out. For which prog rock can be a great soundtrack, yes. Uh, <laughs> something probably with a bit more, you know, uh, more normal uh, um, rhythms in it than Tool. Yeah. Maybe Bruce Springsteen is a good one. It, it's, it's, it's good running or good, you know, doing yeah. uh, on, on the cross trainer, uh, that's that's more suitable for for doing a workout than, than tool. Right, right. And you have the motivation right there. Tramps like us, we were born to run. Uh, you work with clients <laughs> directly. Uh, you work with clients directly. What is your advice for building relationships for the long term? Um, you know, I would say always start with, you know, show a genuine interest uh, to the person, but also the company. You know, show an interest in what they do, um, and know what you talk about. You know, know, you know, what the company is that a person works at. You know, uh, and and especially listen. I would think that that's maybe the most important one. Listen to what a client has to say. What is important to a client, and on that basis, try and um, you know um, help them provide and add value to that client. So I would say listen is, is the key asset here. And speaking of listening, what is advice that you often hear but totally disagree with? Um, you know, that's, 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 that's a difficult one. You know, it's, it's it, I don't know, probably advice on, you know, what choices you need to make in life, you know, oh, what do you need to do here or there? You know, I'm, I'm a true believer in, you know, making your own decisions and, you know, uh, not listening too much to what others say, believe or, or think. Do it your own way. Well, at least we can end on a high note. Thanks, Hosker, Malena, and Mimi. We covered a lot of great stuff today. What else is coming down the pike? Subscribe to our Transfer Pricing Podcasts, The Fiona Show, and The Fiona Show Hot Off the Press, and we'll fill you in on what you need to know every week. I'm Matthew DeMello, and they're crazy enough to let me host and edit this podcast. Executive producer Marilyn Mitchum-Strom writes our scripts. The takeaway from today's show is obvious. Transfer pricing scrutiny is increasing, and while we can't change that, sorry, wish we could, we can let you know how to prepare catch you back here next week for another riveting episode of the fiona show